0: Proverbs chapter 13, and Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. I, I want to uh, bring a message to you, and, and I hate to say this because I don't like to divide the Bible into things practical and things not. Guess all of the Bible is practical, all right? And, and even though it seems counterintuitive, yes, even the genealogies are practical, if you think it through. So I, I, I'm not going to say, well, here's a, I believe what's going to be a really practical message, because that kind of makes it sound like others aren't. I think all the Bible is practical, but I think this will be a practical message in that this is something that happens to all of us. And the original title of my message, because I brought it to the men at prayer meeting some years ago, was How to Fuss with Your Wife. And, And I wasn't encouraging them to fuss, just understanding that fusses are inevitable. And so there's a right and a wrong way to do it. And then it was How to Fuss with Your Spouse. So the ladies can know how to do it too. And then I realized the message should really be called, how to fuss with anyone. (laughs) And so we're going to look and see what the Bible says. Father, help us now as we look at some things that are clearly laid out in the Word of God, and uh, we would be wise to to pay heed to these things, to pay attention, because you're giving us some help here. You're giving us some some practical application in life that can save us a lot of problems. And so we ask that you'd speak to us and help us to hear and help me, Lord, to say those things which will edify and pass by those things that are not worth it. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So Proverbs 13.10, only by pride cometh contention but with the well-advised is wisdom. So anytime there's contention, there is pride somewhere on one side or the other, maybe both sides. And most of the time when we think of this first, we think, yeah, yeah, that other person needs to get over their pride. But I think what we need to do is look at ourselves, and are we blinded? by the fact that it could be our pride that's fueling some of this contention. Look at chapter 17. Flip over to chapter. Proverbs has a lot to say about this. Basically, just about how to get along with others. Or as they would say, check that box off that says, plays well with the other children. Proverbs 17 and verse 14. The beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water, therefore leave off contention, there's that word again, before it be meddled with. And the idea here is once it takes on a life of its own, it's it's like this, this water that lets out. We talk about spilled water, spilled milk. So he says, therefore leave off contention before it be meddled with. Uh, Look at chapter 18. Look at one more here. Chapter 18. And chapter 18 and verse 6. Chapter 18, verse 6. Uh, A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. You ever hear somebody use the expression, he was begging for it? (laughs) He was begging for it. And uh, we've all done it. We've all done it. We've all acted foolishly and ended up in the middle of a bunch of contention and then stepped back and said, why did I do that? So I want to talk to you about how, how how to fuss, if you have to have a fuss. And it will happen. Where people are, there's going to be differences, and there's going to be fusses. And I call them fusses because I don't use the word fight. I made the mistake one time many years ago in counseling. I was counseling a young couple, and uh, they came in and talked about their disagreements and arguments and, and fusses and fights. Well, I didn't realize they were really talking about that kind of fight. I mean, he hit her and she hit him, and I mean, it was on. And so, you know, in the course of trying to help him, I just gave him a few examples about how Carol and I, and I made the mistake of using the word fight. So later on, this gal proceeded to share with about a half a dozen other ladies over a cup of coffee one time how the pastor finally got the victory over hitting his wife. (laughs) So I'm slow to use that word. By the way, I've never hit her one time. And, guys, I don't have much use for a guy that clobbers his wife, okay? I'm sorry. Don't tell me why you did it. Don't give me all the reasons. Don't explain. In fact, it would be better if I don't know. This way I won't hit you. <laughs> but I talk about having a fuss because people are people, and, uh, and, and there's going to be disagreements, and it's just a question of how to do it do it the right way so you can get over it quickly and you can get somewhere because sometimes problem solving leads to solutions that leads to things being better all right number 1 number 1 be a listener be a listener Do you know about half the time that ends the contention before it gets going? A lot of contention, especially in the home, revolves around someone feels like they're not being listened to. And listening is an underappreciated component of communication. When I do premarital counseling, uh, take your Bibles and go to Romans 15. Romans 15 And I want to give you the most important verse in the Bible on communication, whether it's marital communication or any other kind of communication. This, I believe, is the most important verse in the Bible on communication. Verse 7, Romans 15, verse 7, Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. You say, Preacher, what does that have to do with communication? Receive one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. The most important foundational principle of communication, and let's just talk about marriage for a second, is acceptance. And that's what's being talked about in verse 7. Christ received us to the glory of God. Now ask yourself the question, what kind of deal was God getting? But he received us. He received us. And we've said over and over again that marriage is a relationship between two forgivers. So in order for there to be communication, we must have acceptance. And we give each other acceptance the way Christ gives us acceptance. If you'll just apply that principle to your marriage and other relationships, you can begin to have a basis for communication. Now, that's only the start. The next thing is that acceptance can build trust. If I know that my wife accepts me, then I can begin to think of trusting her with my thoughts and my words, and then I can have some vulnerability toward her, and then... Consequently, openness starts to happen. And with openness comes communication. Now, you'll notice I said nothing about IQ. You'll notice that I said nothing about clever ways or systems of communicating or vocabulary or extroverts or introverts or anything like that. Folks, I've seen couples that one person was a complete introvert and the other one was a complete extrovert, and they communicated just fine. Because they had these principles in order in their lives and in the, in, in their in their relationship. And I've seen a couple where one person is nigh onto the IQ of a genius, and the other one was a couple rungs up the ladder from a cabbage worm. <laughs> and they communicated great. It has nothing to do with IQ. It has nothing to do with any of those things. Be a listener. Be a listener. And you know what's hard for all of us to do is to concede when we're wrong. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 1. This is why I believe (coughs) doing a proverb every day, each month, you're going to run into this verse at least once a month. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turneth away what? But grievous words stir up anger. I don't know how many times over the years that I've come to the 15th and read that verse, and and in my day or coming up within a day or two was going to be a situation where. There was potential for conflict or potential at least for disagreement. And so God gives us that. So learning to be listeners. Let's look, at, let's look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar of off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. You get the idea what the psalmist is saying here? The psalmist is saying, Lord, you know me. You know me. And this continues in verse 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way down through verse 18. Look at verse, all the way through verse 18. And then, then we come to these two famous verses I call them, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way Everlasting. Lord, is it possible I'm wrong in this? Is it possible I have a part in this? And by the way, we usually do. When there's contention, we're usually a contributor. Not always, but it's a pretty good bet. More often than not, we are. And learning how, not just to listen to the other but listening to God. And going to God in humility and saying, Lord, search me. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. By the way, do we all understand you're not going to hide anything from God? It's not going to happen. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The most common complaints that men have concerning women include when it comes to this business of communication the silent treatment bringing up past transgressions being too hot or too cold being critical and then being stubborn and refusing to give in most common complaints women have concerning men include forgetting important dates, not working hard at his job, noisily burping or passing gas, (laughs) staring at other women, and, oh, being stubborn and refusing to give in. Number one, learn to be a listener. And probably the most important thing is going to God and listening to him and say, Lord, what's my part in all this? By the way, how many of us understand you're not going to fix the other person? But you can control you. Number two, number two, we're talking about how to fuss if there's going to be a fuss. Stay on point. Stay on point. Take your Bibles and go to Proverbs chapter 14. You ever been in the middle of a big argument with someone and you just sort of ask yourself the question in the middle of all the confusion how did this all start? I, I've, I've, seen, I've seen a discussion about putting the cap back on the toothpaste tube turn into a knockdown, drag out argument. And you wonder how did we get from there to here? Verse 29, Proverbs 14, verse 29. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. Someone who can keep their emotions in control and keep from getting angry and blowing up is of great understanding. But he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. So you're arguing. And then all of a sudden some buried hatchet comes to your mind, and you think, oh yeah, I'll throw that in, and we'll settle that too. And and you think for a brief moment, how smart. And verse 29 says, no, you're exalting folly here. You're exalting folly. Stay on point. What is the discussion about? And certainly watch out for old suspicions popping up. I always knew that you, (coughs) whatever it is, and it's an accusation. Or I always thought or suspected that you, and then it's an accusation. And by the way, if you had a parent like that, or God forbid, two parents like that, that can be a default reaction. And you have to be aware of that. Number one, be a good listener. Number two, stay on point. Don't drift off into other things. Guys, you're liable, if you do, to get that look. And, And every guy that's been married at least 10 years knows what this look is about. It's the look that I call when she gives it to me. It is the look that says... I will make you wish you were never born. (laughs) Okay? And, and 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 I can't warn you of all the ways to get there. But one of the greatest ways to get there is to be discussing one particular narrow point that you're having a disagreement on and then deciding to throw something in there that you always wanted to say and you figure we might as well now. That's a great way to get that look. Number three, number three, stick with you did, not you are. Stick with you did and not you are. Honey, this is, this is what's bothering me. This is what was done. This is what I don't like. An article talks about a study that was done that discovered that the best arguers are those that don't point their fingers, and they are the persons who say we the most in an argument suggesting solutions. The we-users seem to have a sense of shared interest and spark compromise and other ideas that can be pleasing to both partners. The you-sayers, on the contrary, tend to criticize, disagree, justify, And otherwise, team up with negativity. For a while there, I don't know if it's still a big deal, I haven't wandered into any bookstores lately and checked it out, but uh, emotional intelligence was a big deal. And understanding not only the emotions of other people, but your own, and keeping them in check, and managing all that, And, and there's a lot of truth to that, but... In argument, if it starts to get personal, then a person feels like they have to defend themselves. And so so keep it to what was done, not an attack on the person or an accusation on the person. Number four. Number four. Never use you always or you never. You always. Do you ever notice how an always takes everything up several decibels? You get arguing and you throw in a you always, then all of a sudden, whoa. (laughs) And that really accelerates things. Because you always or you never is always never true. It's a generalization and it only escalates the argument. Number five, number five, know when to walk away. Know when to walk away. And and, and by the way, when arguments get heated, married couples, married couples, don't use the D word. Don't use the D word. Don't use the D word. See, what's the D word? Divorce. Don't use it. I know people can get frustrated. They can get hopeless if they keep banging their head against the same wall, so to speak. And by the way, if you're having problems and you need some help, come in. But don't use the D word. Get it out of your vocabulary. It's not going to happen. No matter how angry we get, hey, we made vows at an altar. We're not even going to go there. Don't use the D word. But no one to walk away. You say, now wait a minute, wait a minute, that, that man walking away, that almost sounds like a way to escalate the problem. Well, yes it can be, unless you have an agreement, and you have that agreement ahead of time. Now, I, I, I'm going I'm to admit to something, and you're going to find this unbelievable. But my wife and I argue from time to time. It is extremely rare. The last time it happened, the earth was cooling. Now, if you believe that, I have some marsh property in Florida to sell you. And we just discovered there comes a point where it seems like the next thing that's said just, and so finally, finally, we just have an agreement, and and it's, I, I don't know how it worked out this way, but she gets to stay at home and I get in my vehicle and drive away for a while and just start driving around. Start driving around. And we found that if I call during that time to see if the coast is clear, <laughs> the, the tension and the misunderstanding can only multiply. So this is one thing about Progress and technology I appreciate, but this is where texting comes in real handy. And I'll say something like, uh, are we okay now? Or she'll text me, say something like that. And if the other person says, sure, we're good now, then we know, come on back and everything's good. The other way we sometimes do it is I I got a picture of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And I mean, he's like, like he's going like that. And I'll send her the picture, and I'll say, is she gone? (laughs) No, it it doesn't offend her. It doesn't offend her. Because she can always say no. (laughs) And sometimes she does. She'll say no. And I'll go, okay. (laughs) Just keep driving. But if I send a picture and I said, is she gone? And she goes, yes, then I know it's safe to come back. And there's really nothing wrong with that if you have an agreement ahead of time. Someone once said that no matter how long you nurse a grudge, it won't get better. <laughs> how many of you ever heard of the Hatfields and the McCoys? Legendary. Legendary. One story, and there's all kinds of stories as to how, how it all got started with them, was that Floyd Hatfield stole a hog from Randolph McCoy in 1878. And by the time it was settled 11 years later, 12 people were dead, and the quarrel had become front-page news and legend passed down from generation to generation. Someone once called it backwoods warfare. And they lived along the Tug Fork River on the Kentucky and West Virginia border in the late 1800s. And, and of course, it's, it's, it's a legendary, legendary feud. Uh, folks... Marriage is a relationship between two forgivers, and the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 to to basically end that chapter, before the apostle Paul goes into the most extensive uh, instructions to husbands and wives anywhere in the New Testament, in chapter 5, he says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, what's the next word? Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And then lastly, then lastly, not in front of the kids. Not in front of the kids. My wife and I generally kept that promise to each other. And, uh, we, we did mess up one time and have a pretty good fuss in front of the kids. And so we just decided at that point, okay, it's time for family family powwow. We sat the kids down. I forget what age they were. But my son was at that sort of rascally age. And so we admitted to them, hey, dad and mom, we blew it. We're sorry. You know, we, we shouldn't have had an argument in front of you, just... And so, you know, they were all good with it. And then my son got this this look on his face and this smile, and he said, Dad, and I said, what? And he goes, does that mean you get a spanking? (laughs) I said, no, the apology only goes so far. (laughs) Here's another one. Don't fuss in front of the children. And by the way, if you have to have that much control to find somewhere else to go, it can help in broad terms. Don't fuss in front of the children. But here's another one, and I'm not picking on you ladies, but I am. Don't fuss on social media in front of the whole world. Now, guys are guys can do it too, but along gender lines, Just like men tend to have anger problems, women tend to have this problem. And I think some Christians, instead of singing, I must tell Jesus, they sing, I must tell Facebook (laughs) all of my troubles, (laughs) for I cannot bear these burdens alone. I must tell Facebook, I must tell Facebook, because Facebook can help me and Facebook alone. Uh, I'm here to tell you this morning, that doesn't help. It only compounds it. And can I say this to you, gals and, and guys, it's true for you too, but especially if it's something with you and your husband, and you put it out there on social media for the whole world to see, and then you wonder, Why, he doesn't want to come in with you for counseling? As a guy, can I just let you in on something you may not be aware of? I mean, there's guy things that guys really understand and women things that women really understand. This is a guy thing. He doesn't want to share these problems that he's having with you with all of your friends. That just doesn't help. And I'm not going to try to explain all the whys and where-to-fours of that. But keep it, keep it close quarters, amen? Keep it close quarters. Not in front of the children, not in front of the world with social media. Finally, let's take our Bibles and go to... No, it's not finally. We're going to go one other place. But Ephesians chapter chapter 4 And it's not a question of whether we're going to fuss with one another. That's going to happen from time to time. It's a question of how long is it going to take for us to forgive? How long is it going to take for me to give in, to understand that I have a part in all this, and don't worry about the other person? But what can I do to fix my part in this? And again, it doesn't have to be marriage. It can be on the job, in the church. can be on a team. can be extended family. It can be co-worker. You name it. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. One more time with feeling. Marriage is a relationship between two forgivers. And sometimes a spouse can say something in anger that cuts so deep it seems that the wound will never heal. But this is an opportunity to extend the love of God in a situation where human reaction would create catastrophe. Folks, in every situation where we have disagreement, in or out of the family, in or out of the family of God for that matter, we've lost people out in the world. All these things become opportunities to nurse and cherish either hatred, which will lead to bitterness. And by the way, the best description of bitterness I've ever heard was it's drinking poison and expecting someone else to fall over debt. It's an opportunity to nurse and cherish hatred or to extend the love of Jesus Christ. And for that, We will finish up by going to Matthew chapter 5. And if you're using the Bible reading calendar, you just read this the other day, but this just jumped out at me. You ever notice how it's impossible to improve on anything that Jesus ever said? I always think of the, the one that's just so incredibly remarkable to me. When Jesus said, A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. You could write a bookshelf full of books on the subject of covetousness or contentment when it comes to money and the earning of it and the stewardship of it and all the generosity and the hoarding of it and all the, and you can't improve on that one statement. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. He just said it all right there in one succinct statement. And uh, I want us to look at this here and close with this because I think this, this, this comes into play when it comes to this business of, of, of how to have a fuss with somebody. And, and I look what Jesus said here, and he says in verse 38, he says, You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And boy, you know, I want to live by that. I mean, somebody does something to me, I, I want, you know, that's just, that's a natural reaction. Well, what Jesus is giving us here is going to be counterintuitive. He says, but I say unto you, verse 39, that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, wow, let him have thy cloak also. How counterintuitive is that? And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. And what Jesus was referencing there in verse 41 is that a Roman soldier in, in the occupied uh, Jerusalem in Israel, a Roman soldier could compel a, a, a Jew, could compel a Jew if he was carrying a load or, uh, or, or transporting uh, anything, uh, he could compel him to go one mile. Uh, that citizen had to stop what he was doing and help that Roman soldier for one mile it was the law. And so he, that's why he says, compel thee to go a mile. Okay, so what does Jesus say? Don't go a mile. Go with him twain. And, and believe me, the Jews hated that. They hated about as much as paying taxes to the Roman government. That's why they hated the publicans so much, those Jews that were collecting taxes for the Roman government. Uh, look at verse uh, 42. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said... Uh, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do do good to them that hate you. and, And here's one and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Can I challenge you for a second here? How many of us have ever seriously prayed for our enemies? I mean somebody that is dogging you and giving you grief every opportunity they can. And you actually get down on your knees and it's not, it's not oh God, get them. <laughs> oh God, show them how stupid they are and how right I am. No, it's Lord, please bless them. <laughs> bless their family. Give them good health and prosperity If you stop and think about it, it's easier said than done. And you can't do it outside of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And folks, you can't manufacture those things. Those are a product of the Spirit of God living inside of you. And that's the only way you'll ever do this Pray for them, verse 44, which despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the son, his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. And what's, what's, God's, what's Jesus saying there in verse 45? He's saying God does the same thing. He blesses people all the time that hate him. That hate him. Gives them life, gives them food, gives them everything in life that's good. Verse forty-six: For if ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect. By the way, they call the publicans tax farmers. Tax farmers because that tax bill would grow. In fact, the Roman government didn't care. They could extort money out of the Jews. They didn't care as long as they got their share that they asked for, and they often did. That's why they, they call them tax farmers. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father, which in heaven is perfect. And what's the idea behind perfect here? It's complete, and it's mature. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and just some basic reminders of things, Lord, that uh, affect our behavior, affect our thinking, affect our speech, and affect our relationships. And Father, especially in the marriage in the family, Father, among the brethren, as we go out into the world and encounter the world, Father, there is a lot of hostility there, especially toward you and your word. And Lord, help us to walk in wisdom and help our... Help our uh, speech to be seasoned with salt, but as you said, always with grace. And Lord, that doesn't come natural to any of us, Lord. We need your help, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit, and we thank you for the fruit of the Spirit, that while it's inevitable in this world we're going to come into conflict, Lord. Help us as believers to do it as believers, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number four hundred ninety-seven. Number four hundred ninety-seven. Search me, O oh God. Uh, uh, and my heart today, drive me, oh all my thoughts <laughs> 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 start. Stop-